The scripture reading this morning is from the book of John, verse 1, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verses 35 to 42. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you for these words of Scripture. Help us to see in these words what you're trying to say to us about our lives today. So speak to us, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Well, our scripture lesson this morning from the Gospel of John is only eight verses long, but in those eight verses there are seven, seven references to either watching or looking or seeing. And in fact, if you keep on reading through that first chapter of John, you'll find there's a lot more references to seeing. You know, it um, seems to be pretty important to John. Remember, John's gospel begins by talking about uh, Christ being the light of the world almost. I mean, you're saying, you know, people love darkness rather than light. And, and so we move through the baptism of Jesus, and, and now we have all these references to seeing. In verse 36, we find that John the Baptist is watching Jesus as he walks by. You can kind of just visualize here goes Jesus, and he's just, he's watching them. And apparently the disciples are looking for something because John turns to his followers, his own followers, and he says, look, the Lamb of God. And then when the followers of John start following Jesus, Jesus must sense that somebody's behind him. And so he stops and he turns around and he asks the disciples of John, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? And they seem to be a, a bit flustered. You know, they, well, uh, Rabbi, Rabbi, you know, uh, they sort of flatter him in a, in a way. And they say, well, where are you staying? You know, they don't really answer his question. He's asking them, what are you looking for? And their, their reply is another question. Where, where are you staying? And that's when Jesus says to them, well, if you want to know, come and see. Come and see. So they go. They follow Jesus. And in verse 39, John tells us that they came and saw where he was staying. A lot of looking and seeing, watching, looking, seeing. And later on, uh, 
beyond our passage, but in verse 42, we find out that when Andrew brings his uh, brother Simon to Jesus, actually it is part of, part of our lesson, uh, when Andrew brings his brother Simon to Jesus, the scriptures tell us that Jesus looked at him, looked at Simon as if he's kind of sizing him up, hmm, taking a good look at you. And that's when he changes his name. He calls him Peter, which means the rock. So the question is, why is this so important? Why, why is watching and looking and seeing so important to John's gospel? Why would it be important to us as potential disciples? Well, let me, let me uh, tell you a story that was circulated, really started, I guess, began being circulated back in the 1950s throughout Great Britain. It was a story of a Chinese uh, photographer who was traveling on a train across the uh, snow-covered uh, uh, plains of China. And uh, as the story goes, he, he was pondering, he was thinking as, as he was traveling about Christianity that had started taking a hold in China following the invasion of the Japanese. And he was wondering about this Jesus that people were talking about, and he, was, he found himself thinking, I'd like to see this Jesus. You know, I, there's no way I would be a follower of Jesus if I couldn't see him. And uh, according to the story, the, the train comes to a stop for some reason. And this Chinese photographer, he has this urging within him, a kind of a voice that's speaking to him saying, take a picture, take a picture. Well, he looks out the window and all he sees is snow that's, some of it's starting to melt and it's starting to get kind of mushy in places. He doesn't know why he's having this urging. He doesn't know why this voice is ringing in his ear. But nonetheless, he takes his camera, he, he leaves the train, and he takes a picture of, of the snow. And um, he returns to the train, and he doesn't know what he's taking a picture of. When he returns home, he, he develops the film. I, I know for some people you may not know what film is, um, uh, but it, it's something that used to be in a camera, and you'd have to put, put it in various chemicals. Anyway, uh, so he develops the film, and in the dark room, a, a picture starts to emerge, and he finally takes it out into the light, and what he sees is snow and kind of the dark earth kind of oozing up between the melting snowflakes and their shadows, and he looks, and he looks, and then a picture begins to emerge in his mind. I don't know if you can, the slide that we're showing you right now, I don't know if you could see the picture of Christ. Um, as, a, when the, as the story goes, the, the photographer sees this picture and he feels like his, his desire to see Christ is answered. And so he becomes a Christian and he becomes a disciple of Christ. Now watching Watching is a lot like listening, like this photographer who was listening to this inner voice that was speaking to him, take a picture, take a picture. It, it, it's kind of like being observant. Watching is, 
well, what a watchman does on, on the city wall. It's not just looking with your eyes, but it's listening with your ears. It's, it's being observant, being awake, being prepared. That's what watching is. Now, after the photographer took the picture, he then began to look more closely at what he had taken. He could easily have just taken the picture, looked at it, and saw that it was nothing but a snowbank and tossed it. But he looked more closely, and that's when he begins to see Jesus. Now remember, this scripture lesson is in the first chapter of John, and it is in the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Immediately before this is the story of the baptism of Jesus. Jesus is now in the process of asking people to, to follow him. He's in the process of making disciples. He's gathering them up. And so it is appropriate for us to think of this lesson as being perhaps a kind of lesson in what discipleship is. What is a disciple? Well, I think if you look at these verses, a disciple is, number one, someone who watches, someone who watches for signs that, that Jesus is near, perhaps far more close to us than we realize. A disciple is someone who watches for the presence of God in their lives. A disciple is also one who looks, who goes beyond just the watching, but begins to delve deeper into what they see, looking closely into the people and circumstances of their life, looking deeply for God's hand at work. And finally, a disciple is someone who sees, someone who sees Christ, who walks among us, who sees perhaps what other people do not see. To the average passerby, the, the, the snow and the shadows are nothing but that. But to this Chinese photographer, it is the face of Christ. For many of us, the tragedies and circumstances of our life, to some, may appear to be just tragic events. To others, it could be a way for us to see God at work in our, in our living in the lesson today, what's interesting is Jesus is passing by. He's, he's got somewhere else to go. Uh, in fact, um, it, it says in verse 36 that, that as he's passing by, that's when John begins to look at him, to watch him. If John had not been watching Jesus, he would not have been able to tell his followers, look, here is the Lamb of God that we see in verse 36. Reminds me a lot of the story of Jesus on that first Easter afternoon when he joins these two who are leaving Jerusalem on the way to Emmaus. They have been looking forward to the Messiah, bringing, ushering in the new kingdom of God. And what they've discovered is their Messiah has been crucified and has been buried. They've heard stories about Jesus rising from the dead, but they're not so sure any of that is true. They think they're just idle tales. And so they are on their way home. They have left Jerusalem, perhaps never to return, at least not as followers of Christ. They're making their way home, and the scriptures say they were sad. And that's when Jesus 
accompanies them and begins to walk with them. And, and he asks them what, what they're talking about, and, and they seem bewildered that he doesn't know what has happened in Jerusalem. And so they tell, them, they tell him what, what they know. And then he begins to open the scriptures to them and tells them what the Messiah really was really about and uh, really talking a lot about himself. When they get to Emmaus, it, now the sun is almost going down. The scriptures tell us that he appears to be going on. He, he has somewhere else to go. But they have been so moved by what they have heard along the way that they invite him to stay. They urge him to come into their home. And so he goes into their home and he sits at table with them. And when he breaks the bread, that's when they see him for the first time. The point is that Jesus is not just jumping up and down going, here I am, here I am. Hey, I'm, I'm the son of God. Jesus isn't doing that. Jesus has somewhere to go, has something to do. It's up to us to be watching. It's up to us to look at our lives, at strangers who maybe are walking with us in our sadness. It's up to us to be watching for the Lamb of God who is walking by. It is up to us to invite him in, much as I was telling the children this morning about Jesus knocking on the door, and it's up to us to open the door to invite him in. Now, isn't that the real purpose of a disciple in the first place? Isn't the real purpose to truly see Jesus and then to help others see him as well? <clears throat> Years ago, I had the opportunity to be part of a, a church conference up in Pittsburgh, something where a lot of uh, pastors had gathered, and, and we were just kind of not only sharing war stories, but trying to learn from others. And and so we visited several churches in Pittsburgh, some out in the suburbs, some downtown. One church in particular we visited was First Presbyterian Church in in downtown Pittsburgh. And as many preachers are prone to do when they enter a new church, they want to check out the pulpit. <laughs> I wonder what it feels like to be high and mighty like in this pulpit. So I had the same urging, and I just had to go and see what it would feel like to be standing up so tall above the people. And so I, I climbed those granite stairs, and as I got to the pulpit, I looked down and carved into the stone, engraved in the stone were the words, Sir, we would see Jesus. It's the King James translation from John 12, 21. It's words that are spoken by the, the Greek Gentiles to Philip. When they had heard Jesus was in town, they go to Philip, whom they knew was one of his disciples, and they said to Philip, Sir, we would see Jesus. You see, a disciple is someone who wants to see Jesus. It doesn't matter how much I paint a word picture of Jesus in my sermons or tell you what he's like. If you're not watching for him, you won't see him. 
if you're not looking deeply in your own living, in the circumstances of your life, in the, in the people you meet, if you're, if you're not looking around for him, you won't see him. Now that inscription on the pulpit is very, well, it, it really drives home a point to anyone who would stand there to be a preacher. It, it would be a message to me. If it were up to me, I would carve it in every pulpit that I would ever stand behind. Because it reminds me that people have not come to church to see me, but they've come to see the Christ that hopefully I can help share with them. It's about Jesus. People want to see God incarnate in their lives. But it's another reminder too. It's not just a reminder to the preacher. It's a reminder to those who have come to church that day. You have to come to church with an attitude of watching. If, if you come there to, you know, to mark off, you know, all the mistakes of the preacher or the or the band leader or or the bulletin or you name it, if if that's what you've come for, then you're going to miss the Christ. Who is there? You have to come looking for him. You have to look beyond the the external that you see around you, and you have to look deeper. And you have to see the Christ who lives within us. Now, see, too often all of us, preachers and laity alike, we're blind to the presence of Christ. We get caught up in our lives and we and we don't see God at work. We we just see turmoil and, and difficulties. And that's often because we're not watching. We're not looking. In other words, we're not seeking Christ. That's why I believe there are so many references in the Bible to Jesus healing the blind. In Luke's gospel, Jesus begins his ministry by standing in that pulpit in Nazareth in the synagogue. And, and, and reading from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, telling the people that he has come to restore sight to the blind. And when the disciples see the blind man sitting outside the temple, they see blame. And, and, and they, they ask Jesus, who, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They don't see the glory of God that is about to be revealed in this man, but they see blame. And when the man is dragged before the Pharisees and, the, and, and they want to know how he had his sight restored, the Pharisees see only a sinner named Jesus who had the audacity to break the Sabbath law and heal this man on the Sabbath. You see, we often miss Christ because we are so caught up in our own judging, our own prejudices, our own view of the world, that we don't see the God who walks among us. Jesus said, I came that the blind might see. Plato shares an analogy in his, his work called The Republic. His analogy is, has come to be known as the allegory of the cave. Now, in, the, in this allegory, it's, it's really kind of an allegory of, our li- of the world, at least from his perspective, there's a there's kind of a dialogue that uh, that that goes on between Socrates and and his student, and uh, and in this kind of dialogue, he 
Socrates lays out this, this allegory. And what it is is that we are like slaves that are chained to a wall in a cave. And our, our heads are chained as well, so we can't move our heads, we can't move our bodies, we can only look forward. We're leaning up against a wall, and behind the wall, up on, a, up on a, a, an embankment you see in, the, in this slide we're showing, there's a, there's a bonfire, there's a fire there, and, and there are people walking behind the wall carrying various uh, objects, might be a rooster or a cow or a building or a chair or a table. And, and these objects are carried back and forth. And the people who are chained, they only see the shadows that are being projected up on the cave wall in front of them. They cannot see behind them. They don't see the real objects. And of course, they don't see the fire. They only see the shadows. Well, they hear voices and they hear all kinds of conversations going on. And they, over time, they start putting together those voices, those sounds with the various shadows. And so their world becomes, well, just filled with sounds and sights. But all of it is an unreality. One of the slaves is freed and makes his way out of the cave. But he's so blinded by the light, it's so painful to his eyes that he wants to go back in and he'd rather be a slave because what he knows as reality are the shadows rather than what is real. Well, you and I sometimes live in such a world as that cave. You and I live out our lives looking at shadows looking at difficulties, looking at pain, looking at conflicts, looking at, looking at all the things of this world, and we think it's real. But God is suggesting there's a reality well beyond what you see with your eyes. What you and I are looking at in our lives may not be real at all. It may only be a shadow of what God wants us truly to see. So you see, that's why I think in the scriptures that God comes as light. There's nothing else like light in the universe that we have discovered. Nothing acts like light. It's both a particle and a wave. It, it, nothing goes faster than light. It, it's, it's extraordinary. And the scriptures tell us that God is light. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And too much, too many of us love the darkness rather than light. Because you see, sometimes the light can be painful. And we find ourselves wanting to return into the cave. What Jesus is saying to all would-be followers, all would-be disciples, come and follow me. Walk into the light. Come and see. Let us pray. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for wanting to see the world only as we're used to it. Forgive us for looking at people and their circumstances, how they dress, how they walk, what color they are, how they relate to others. 
Forgive us for looking at them and seeing an unreality. Help us to see you in each person we meet. Help us, Lord, to see you and follow you. Amen.